Cool. Why don't we all stand uh, just out of our love of the Word of God? And uh, why don't you just maybe close your eyes and put your hands out and just receive the Word of God as I read it out over you this morning. This is from Ephesians 4, verse 22. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Uh, Lord, we love your word, and we love that you're always speaking to us. And so, God, we just pray that your word would find good soil in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you take a seat? Uh, when I was a teenager, I had some mates that were into surfing, and for, for a little season, I was like, this is cool, like, I want to get into this, um, and I had a mate who was very good at surfing, and so I got a surfboard, I got a wetsuit, and uh, I got out there and keep trying and trying. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, um, whilst I like the ocean and like being out in the sea, I'm actually not very good at surfing. Uh, I'd, I'd, I'd sort of get out to the back of the waves and then I'd get try and almost get up on my board and then I'd just continually fall off. Um, I don't have great balance either. <laughs> and uh, I, but I, I persisted with this thing for a while, and as well as doing that, I also persisted with some of my mates who are into skateboarding. Uh, I, I got into skateboarding as well and, and tried with that. Now, that even had worse results. Now, at least in, your, in the sea, you've got water to break your fall. Um, but when I was trying to do skateboarding, and, and I'd like to say this was a high ramp, but it was probably something about this high, this little bowl. I was on a skateboard and I was like trying to drop into it. And I, I was not very good at it. And I like fell down and um, uh, banged the bottom of my chin. There's still hair missing there. And, and I broke one of my <laughs> teeth. And it was, um, I had all these like mates around, so I had to just try and play cool. It was like blood coming out of my mouth. Are you all right? <laughs> you, you're fine. Yeah, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> I share those stories to illustrate something. Uh, I was trying to be something that I wasn't. I don't know if you can relate to that. Maybe in your teenage years, maybe as a young adult, or even now. Maybe there's been times in your life where you've been trying to be something that you're not. And, uh, yeah, it just doesn't fit right. Does it? And I, I realised as I got older that I, I, I like I like the ocean, I like swimming, um, but I actually really like you know tramping, going out into the bush. Um, I quite enjoy running and going long distance. Like I found the things that I really enjoyed that were for me, and how I'm wired and how I, I do life, and that f fitted better. You know, that was who I was. Um, but I think so many of us are often, uh, even from early ages, trying to be something that we're not. Um, I like this quote from Oscar Wilde. He says, um, be yourself, everyone else is taken, you know? Like, you've got to be yourself. That's who you, God created you to be. So we're doing this series at the moment called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. It's based on a book and a course by called Pete Scazzaro. And if you're new here today, uh, we just started this series last week, so you can check out our messages on, on our website and keep up with them as we go. Uh, but basically, we're going to do a six-week series just looking at emotional health, um, often looking at what's below the surface. And as you can see, there's a picture of an iceberg here, which is an image for the course and, and the book, because with an iceberg, um, about 
roughly 10% up to 20% is above sea level, it's what you can see, and then about, yeah, 90% of what is in an iceberg is below the surface, and that's the, the sort of the metaphor or the word picture for this course and what it's about is that there's about 90% of our life is all going on under the surface, all our feelings and thoughts and all the stuff within us that most people don't see. They just see the 10% in our jobs, in our neighbours, workplaces, whatever it is, that people are only seeing about 10% of who we really are. And there's all this stuff going on under and what God wants to do, he wants to get to the core of everything, right? It's a great quote from um, St. Augustine here, which gets the title of this message today. How can you draw close to God when you are far from your own self? Grant, Lord, that I may know myself, that I may know thee, or you. Teresa of Avila said this, Almost all problems in the spiritual life stem from a lack of self-knowledge. In the text I read before in Ephesians, Paul is saying to the church in Ephesus to put off the old self or the false self, the way you used to live in sin and brokenness and put on the new, the true self, who you really are. That is the self you are created to be, made in the image of a good God. And uh, we often talk in this course uh, and the series about this concept of the false self, the old sort of self. And here's a definition from Bridgetown Church. The false self is the part of us that overcompensates, deflects, and distracts others, and sometimes even ourselves. That's me. (laughs) From the parts of us we'd rather others not see. It's not only the part of us that sins, but also the part of us that tries to hide our sin and shame to cover it. While the false self attempts to produce its own covering, think Adam and Eve, how did they sin? Putting the fig leaves on, feeling that shame, trying to cover your shame. The true self allows God to be its covering. To really know ourselves, then, our real true self requires more than just a Christian personality test or spiritual gifts inventory. It requires self-knowledge without deception, without the self-protecting shiny exterior that we use to hide the parts of us we don't like or feel ashamed of. I realise that this series probably is a little bit heavy. Um, maybe I should be giving out drinks and snacks or something like <laughs> during it. Uh, oh, you think this is bad? I've been in this all week, like looking at myself and feeling all this stuff. <laughs> You're just going to be in this for half an hour. <laughs> uh, but this is important. This is real life. And, uh, you know, I just really pray God's grace and peace and that the Holy Spirit is with you as, as we look at this stuff, because it isn't easy. It's, but the most important stuff in life normally isn't. So today I just want to look, um, we're just going to go through Luke 4, and it's how Jesus went into the, the desert for 40 days, and he resisted three temptations to give in to the false self from the devil. And this is really relevant to us in the season of Lent. If you're not familiar with Lent, Lent is a season that runs from Ash Wednesday, which was last Wednesday last week, and runs up to Easter, and it's a thing that the church has done throughout the ages to remember this 40 days that Jesus went into the desert. Because what a desert represents to us is, is this place of being like barren and, and stripped back and, you know, before, you know, life and everything. And so there's a, there's a sense here of, of, of really being real before God and life. So um, just prior to Jesus going to, into, into the desert, um, we read this really foundational thing that he got baptised 
um, by his cousin, John the Baptist. And as he was coming out of the water, there's a voice from heaven, which is his father. And his father said these words over, over Jesus. You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. I'm proud. Just remember, at this point in Jesus' life, he had not preached a message. He hadn't done one miracle. He hadn't gathered, you know, gathered a whole lot of people together. He was an absolute nobody. The only people that knew him were his own family and the people he grew up in Nazareth around. He was a carpenter's son. He was just that guy. He had no significance or public profile. At this moment, he had nothing. And what's God saying to him? You are my son, whom I love. I'm well proud of you. I'm pleased with you. It's not about what Jesus achieves. It's the identity was in, in who God had... Yeah, sorry. His identity was in, in, in the Father before anything. That's where his self-worth was, was in God the Father and his love that he had for him. Jesus' foundation is worth is based not what on he does, but in who he is and who, his relationship to the Father. That is the foundation of who he is. And this morning, you know, the Father is saying the same words over you guys. Why don't you just fill your name into that blank, you are my son or daughter whom I love, who I'm well pleased with. Can you feel God saying that over you this morning? Maybe you find that really hard to believe wherever you're at in your life, but there is a smiling God, a smiling, proud father who's saying, you're my son, you're my daughter, whom I love, oh, I'm so proud of. I think you guys are awesome. That's, that's what God is doing right now over us. Uh, we just need to receive that. Because, Fano, that's our foundation. That's where we get our sense of self-worth from. I love this verse in First, um, first John 3, one. This is the Apostle John saying, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, like poured out on us that we should be called children of God. And I love this refrain, and that is what we are. Isn't that profound? Like he's like saying, look at this. Look at this wonderful love that the Father has poured out on all of us, that we should be called children of God. And that is who we are. If you don't remember anything from my message today, I just love that you took that home with you that that was on your heart today and this week as you went through whatever you're going through, that your foundation is that you are a child of God whom he loves, who he's super proud of. So Jesus is led into the desert with, with that kind of foundation and his self-worth by God. And the devil comes to him as he's fasting and praying in the desert with three temptations which are often the temptations that come to us in life, that the devil comes to us with. The first one is, I am what I do, performance. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell the stone to become bread. The devil is saying to Jesus, you're nothing. What have you achieved? Nothing. Go on, prove me wrong. Show me what you can do. And the devil comes at us as well like that. 
you're nothing. What have you achieved? Our world, especially in Western countries, puts so much value in what we do. It's so wrapped up in our identity, right? I talked about this last week. Often the second question we ask someone is, what do you do? Rather than, where are you from? Or, where did you grow up? It's like, what do you do? Because that's where we put our value often in our world. So we throw ourselves into our jobs, climbing ladders to try to be successful, to have status for people, to be impressed with our achievements. Nothing wrong with achieving things in life. Only issue is if it's motivated by a need to prove to yourself and to others that you are worthy. I love this quote from Thomas Merton about climbing ladders. People may spend their whole lives climbing the ladder of success only to find once they reach the top that the ladder is leaning against the wrong wall. Isn't that so true? How often have, have you heard about people who've climbed the corporate ladder or a career ladder? They've, they've sometimes sacrificed their family and all sorts of things to get to the top of this thing that they really, really wanted. And when they get there, they're so unsatisfied. And they're just like, oh, I wasted my life. I gave all my life to this job or this career or this thing that I gave myself to, and it was so unsatisfying. There's so inherent in our culture that that performance thing that we want to perform for others. But our ultimate identity and worth comes from God, who created us and loves us, not from what we do or we have achieved. And Jesus responds to the devil in verse 4, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, in the, and I think it's in Matthew's version, but by the words of, that come from the Father. And I just thought that's so linked to that experience he just had in that baptism. Like his self-worth comes from those words that the Father has said to him. He doesn't need to perform for anyone, even though Jesus could. He had that power. He didn't need to perform The other temptation is, I am what I have, possessions. Again, the devil takes him to a higher place and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and said, I'll give you all the authority and spend it. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will be all yours. Again, highlighting that Jesus had nothing. At this moment, he's just in the desert. He hasn't even got food. He's just got the clothes on his back. He doesn't own anything. He's got no possessions. And here's the devil throwing it in his face like, you've got nothing. Look at all the splendor of the world and the kings. I can give you all these good things if you worship me. Pete Scazzaro writes this. As adults, we measure ourselves through comparisons. Who has the most money, the most beautiful body, the most comfortable life? Often our sense of worth is tied to our positions at work the money, and the perks. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know about you, but I, I, I struggle with this sometimes. Like, I, I take the dog out for a walk in the morning, and um, normally I'm okay about, like, my house I own and the car I have and all these sort of things or what, how much money is in my bank account. But sometimes I'm walking past people's homes and I'm like, oh, that's nice. <laughs> Anyone else do this? Sometimes I almost verbalise it too. <laughs> like, ooh, that's nice. Like I look at the car or I look at the boat or I'll, I'll see the house and I think, oh, I could see myself there. 
I could get used to this. Like, I've got that kind of thing going on. And uh, <laughs> I, I, I particularly have noticed it in myself. Um, I, I, I've got a, a couple of friends who've uh, got these you know, Koru Club memberships. Have you ever heard of this Koru Club? It's like this really, it's this awesome place that Air New Zealand has where it's got this like buffet food and all the drinks and coffee and all that you want. It's, and like I said before, I'm not a big possessions person, but man, I love my food. <laughs> and uh, I, we were coming back from this uh, uh, meeting, Amy and I, and uh, there was a whole group of us travelling back, and um, and uh, they, they was someone had a couple of these people had these passes to go in, and they could take a few people in or something. And I've been in a couple of times before, so I know how good it is. And and I was and they were kind of I could tell they were like, okay who who can come with and and, and I, you know I was Amy went, you know went in and I said oh, no I can I can stay out here with the other guys or whatever you know just eating in the food court with the peasants you know <laughs> <laughs> but inside I was like oh man I really want to go in like you know like I was really gutted and then Amy rang me from within the the quarterly lounge and she said she said oh Nick um. One of your mates is here, like another mate who just randomly had happened to be there, who was travelling at the same time, and he said he can get you in, and 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 I was sitting with these guys, and they were all been they've been all talking like ah oh, no, nah, oh, it's overrated the quarry lounge and all this. I wasn't saying anything, but I was like sitting, and, and I was like oh I got, I got up and I was like oh hey guys um uh, yeah one of my, one of my other mates is in the the lounge, I, I'm gonna go, and and I just went. <laughs> And, and I was like, I was sprinting to this thing, because we didn't have a lot of time to the flight, so I'm like, oh, I'm going to make as much worth out of this thing as possible. I'm like pushing people out of the way, I'm diving over things to get in there. Uh, and I was just revealed, like, I'll just be honest, like, man, I, I love that stuff. Like, I got in there and I was like, I was enjoying myself. But I just realised, man, that's a, that's a false self part of me that, that really wants those things. Uh, just as I'm getting older, I just, oh, man, I really love that. And... Uh, yeah, and we, we've all got, all got these kind of blind spots in our life around the things that we want. Jesus in verse 8 says, responding, he says, It is written, uh, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. But Jesus effectively replies, get away, false self. I don't want to worship possessions or things. I worship God. That is where my identity is. Whānau, your identity, your true self, is not in what you own, what type of car you drive, or how much money you have or don't have. Your identity is in God, as a child of the King of Kings, the creator of the universe. Everything else beyond that is gravy, like when you've got identity in Christ. So the last uh, temptation that Jesus, uh, the devil comes at Jesus with is popularity. I am what others think. The devil led him to Jerusalem, had him stand on the highest point of the temple. He said, if you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. And then he quotes a psalm and says, your angels will lift, you know, pick you up before you hit the ground. At this point, like I said before, Jesus was invisible. 30 years of obscurity. No one other than his family knew who he was. And to them, he was just Jesus, Mary and Joseph's boy. Most of us care so much about what others think. And I, I think everyone struggles with this one, like what others think about us. And uh, if you don't worry about what others think about you at all, um, that's not healthy either. Those sort of people are sociopaths, you know. <laughs> like if you just do not care at all what other people think, you can do a lot of damage in life. Like you need to, 
there is a healthy balance here. Um, But when we put an inordinate amount of of worth on what others think about us, that is really damaging, right? It, It cripples us what we worry about, what other people think about us in our lives. But to live in, a, in such a way where you constantly need to impress or, or need others' approvals for your self-worth is the false self. Jesus replies in verse 12, It is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Henry Nouwen, writing on this temptation to be sort of spectacular, said, Jesus refused to be a stuntman. He did not come to prove himself. He did not come to... hot coals, swallow fire, or put his hand in the lion's mouth to demonstrate that he had something worthwhile to say. Instead, Jesus said, don't put your God to the test. In an unspectacular way, he just quotes scripture back to the devil. Like you and I can do when the devil or the world tempts us to put our worth in what others think about us. Like when the devil comes to us with those lies, we can actually just quote scripture. We can just quote God's truth back to the devil. Pete Scazzaro writes, oh, sorry. Pete Scazzaro writes, true freedom comes when we no longer need to be somebody special in other people's eyes because we know we are lovable and good enough. I'll read that out again. True freedom comes when we no longer need to be special in other people's eyes because we know we are lovable and good enough. So how? How do, we, how do we put on the true self? Because back in that verse, it actually Paul actually says to the Ephesians, put on you know, the new self, put on the true self. There's actually an action that needs to be done here. We can't just sit in, in all our brokenness and stuff. We actually need to let God work in us. I want to suggest a few things that Pete says in the book. The first one is silence, solitude so important to sit and be with God. We're such an action-orientated culture, but a lot of, 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 of true spirituality is just being with God. Everything flows from there. Bringing your emotions to God. Uh, Pete Scazzaro shares in the book, because he wasn't very good with emotions, so how he started was he used to open up his journal, just write what he was thinking and feeling in there, and then just give it to God. And I just wonder if for some of you guys, that might be where you need to start, if you're, if you're not sure how to process your feelings, is just to write them down, or maybe verbalise them out loud, however you kind of like to do that. But just make a start, bring it before God. Two-thirds of the Psalms are, are laments, they're people processing their emotions to God. And don't be afraid to be real with God. I think uh, so often I find myself when I'm writing in my journal, writing very sanitized prayers. Does anyone do this? And like kind of, oh, that's still very theologically correct. Or, you know, like I'm saying it, you know, sort of very nicey pie kind of thing. Uh, as I'm going on in this journey, I've I just been really honest with God. I'm frustrated with this. I'm frustrated with that. God, I'm even frustrated with you. Um, maybe I'm angry with you or about some situation or something. Like, God is okay with that. He loves that. He's a good father who wants us to come and pour out our hearts before him. Allow, Pete said, he allowed himself to feel the full weight of his feelings, not censoring them, asking questions of yourself. Why did that person upset you? Why am I feeling anxious about that conversation? 
or that colleague or employee, etc. Like, sort of discerning what's going on within you. If you don't know how to do silence and solitude, I would recommend this app's really great. Um, it's a, the one-minute pause app, and it can do, like, you can do a minute, you can do two, five, ten, whatever you want. It's just got guided worship and, and talking that just helps you through that process. Um, or just on your phone, if you're actually good at just sitting in silence, just put a timer on your phone or your watch for whatever time. Start small, two minutes, and just sit and be with God, and then just let all those feelings come out before God. Um, another book we've talked about is the devotional that comes with this, with the course. It's a absolutely hands down one of the best devotional books that I've seen. Uh, it has a little two-minute silence thing, a little scripture and reflection sort of thing to read, and then a little bit of silence. Absolutely. If you don't know how, you don't know where to get started on your devotional life, you'd feel like you've just been off the wagon for maybe years, this is a fantastic place just to start. And it just build that, that beautiful time with God into your life and slowing down to be with him. Um, the second thing is finding trusted companions. We all need helpers on the way. And I think it's really interesting there that he just uses the word trusted companions. Like, you're not going to go bear your soul to Joe Bloggs down the street, are you? You're going to say, hey, hey, mate, this is all going on in my life. You'll be like, whoa, get away from me, weirdo. Uh, you have to find trusted companions, people you trust, you know, people you trust with your heart, right? And honestly, guys, the best place to find that is, is within, you know, your church whānau, you know, through um, coming to church on Sundays, being part of a group. Uh, we have a, a men's devotional group that meets on Thursday mornings at a cafe just to basically say, how are you going with your time with Jesus? How is it with your soul? And that's just a way that we keep each other accountable, including myself, like, how's it, how's it with your soul this morning kind of thing? Um, there are, these are the ways that we need to build this into our life and find trusted companions. Um, and if you don't have trusted companions, I, I, I pray, ask God to, to send trusted companions into your life. Join a group, like f- reach out and, and find that community that you can have life. Um, we need helpers on the way, people we trust. Jesus had 12 and in an inner circle of Peter, James, and John. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his great book, Life Together, warned this. Let the person who cannot be alone be with community. Like, it's important to have silence and solitude in our lives. If you're just that extrovert who cannot shut down and <laughs> be with God, like, that's an issue. You need to work on that kind of thing. Um, But on the other side of the coin too, let the person who is not in community beware of being alone. It's both and. This is the rhythm Jesus showed us in the Gospels. He would go away to be with the Father. He'd fill up with the Father, and then he would go and pour himself out in community and live in community. It's both and. Because we all have blind spots as as part of being human. Um, I've been... You know, God has been very kind to me um, with that because he's gifted me Amy, who highlights my blind spots. <laughs> and hopefully I highlight her blind spots as well. <laughs> Sorry, bad joke. Um, <laughs> others, others give you... I'm going to be in trouble after this. Others give you perspective from outside yourself. Um, countless times I've spoken to someone about a situation I was wrestling with and they were able to help me discern what was going on within me and help me to see from another perspective. 
I shared last week, um, I grew up, I grew up, I have an autistic brother, he lives in a home, he's effectively like a two-year-old living in a 40-year-old's body, and uh, that was actually very tough growing up, but I had this stoic thing within me uh, when people would ask, oh, what was that like growing up with your brother? I would always just say, oh, it's fine, because I had this thing, oh, well, other people got worse stuff going on in their lives, you know, you know I shouldn't complain kind of thing. And it's just something we kind of sometimes pick up in our culture that you can't actually be real about how you feel about certain situations. And it was only until I was sitting with a counsellor in my, in my 20s that the counsellor actually just highlighted to me and kind of said, hey, Nick, that was really hard, what you grew up with. And I was like, oh, no, no, it was fine. And he's like, no, no, that, that was actually, that was, that was really traumatic for you. And, 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 and he just keeps sort of, <laughs> you know, pointing on that thing. And I was like, no, 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 that's fine, it's fine, it's fine. And then he, and he kept doing it, and then, and, then, and then it was like, and then I was like, ooh, you know, like it was this, this moment where the floodgates opened and it was like, oh, everything within me was revealed kind of thing. <laughs> and it's like, that's what you need from others. You need kind people. Um, not <laughs> blunt and you know, rude people, but kind people who, who speak really lovingly into your life and say, oh, that's not good. That, that was really hard for you. You need prayer. You need help. You need support. And this could, this could be counsellors. This could be I have a spiritual director every month I go to for my, and I pour my heart out. That's so good. You could be friends, small group. There's so many ways that we can find these trusted companions, but you need to find them funner. Don't do life alone. It, life is hard, eh? But God is good, and, and we really need people on the journey. Three, move out of your comfort zone. You've got to get used to discomfort. I, I think we all naturally drift towards the path of least resistance in life. I mean, who, like, who enjoys conflict? I don't. Like, <laughs> I, I hate conflict. It makes me feel, I get all those butterflies in my stomach. I feel like, oh, I've got to have this courageous conversation. No thanks. Uh, can someone else do this? Uh, but like, there's something about like having to, to grow up emotionally that, that is about going out of your comfort zone because that's where the life is when we step out of the comfort zone. Maybe it's giving or receiving compliments. Some people really struggle with that. It feels wrong to you. Maybe you don't, like I said before, you don't like conflict. Maybe it's asking for help. Many people struggle being vulnerable to others, Right? Maybe God is calling you to do something with a job, a mission, or a place, but you're like, no thanks. <laughs> I'm looking at all the risks, all the things that could go wrong, and you're ignoring the call of God in your life. Have you guys ever heard of this thing called imposter syndrome? Well, it's basically this feeling that most of us have, that you feel like that at any moment someone's going to, like in The Wizard of Oz, pull the curtain back, and they're just going to see an old man working the the dials, like, I, I've struggled with this in my life. It's almost like you're waiting for some person to say, nah, you're, you're inadequate, you're not up to this, you're not qualified. And I think many of us have this in our, in our lives, that we have this feeling like people are looking at, and just, at any moment someone's going to pull the curtain away and reveal who we really are, right? And so that's why we have to, that, that's, that, that's the discomfort as we step into these things that we will feel like an imposter. That this, oh, no, no, I just want to go back to the comfort zone. That's really nice and comfortable there. But it's not the healthy pace to grow. It's in the comfort zone. This leads to the final step, which really, really helps in this journey. Pray for courage. Because you're going to get pushback from the enemy and from, and from others sometimes. Um, as, as you change in life, 
Often other people don't like that. I was a um, probation officer um, way back, and I just remember sometimes you'd have offenders who really, really wanted to change their lives. They'd, they, they just had a moment where they just really wanted to change, they'd had enough. And they would often do like one of the courses that were helping with that um, out in the prison or out in the community. And sometimes they were making tremendous progress. But I think what often happened was that they, they ended up falling off, off a cliff sometimes where they went back to their, to their community, the people around them, and it's like almost like the community pulled them back into that lifestyle. Because I, I wonder if it, whether it was spoken or whether it was just picked up, there was a sense of like, who do you think you are? Like, who, you, you, this is who you are. <laughs> Don't try and change. You know, like, it's like the, the environment just dragged them back in there. And sometimes, guys, when we're changing in life, people want to put us back into that, that false self. Because they're, they're, they're challenged by their own false self, like that they need to change. And so they don't want people to be like that because it's like, oh, that's an, oh, oh, maybe I need to work on my stuff. So there's, there's something about that, that 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 sometimes you can get pushback, um, sometimes even from your own family. Sometimes when people become a Christian, they just receive so much pushback from their family because their family's like, what are you doing? You know, Come back. You, you've changed. We don't like this. Be who you were, who we think you are. So we need to pray to God that he'd give us courage with our family and our workplaces when we're experiencing pushback as we grow. Why don't we stand? Like I said earlier, I, I, I realise this is um, yeah, quite heavy stuff and, uh, and that's why we're doing it as a series, just to you know, keep touching on the stuff and just want to have that invitation, you know, if, if stuff comes up during the week as you've been listening to some of these messages, you know, please reach out to Amy and I. We'd love to pray for you and uh, help you with any resources or anything we can along that way. But I, I just had a sense this morning as, as we finish that the Holy Spirit just wanted to minister to us as a church. And I think as a church, um, it's not just about certain individuals kind of having a moment. I think it's actually, we're all hypocrites in transition, right? <laughs> we're all growing. We've all got stuff in our hearts that we're bringing before God. And in his gracious mercy and love, he just wants to lavish us with his love. So why don't we put out our hands and close our eyes, if you don't mind, as an act of surrender to God. John Christostom said this, find the door to your heart and you will find the door to the kingdom of God. Find the door to your heart and you will find the door to the kingdom of God. In Revelation, Jesus says he's knocking on the door. I used to be freaked out by that verse. I thought I was in trouble. That's what I thought that verse was about. You know what it actually says? It says that he's knocking on the door. If you will open the door and let me come in, I will sit with you and eat. Jesus wants you to open up your heart. He wants to come in and he wants to sit with you and have a meal. He's not angry. He's smiling. He's full of love. And he wants to bring healing and life to you. Because Fano, this is important. What pain is not transformed will be transferred. It's not just for us, it's for our kids, it's for future generations. We want to be who God has created us to be, our true self, in him.